Welcome to the Defend the North podcast. I'm your co-host, Dana Eisfeld. I'm joined tonight by Cousin Isaac. Isaac, we're into 2022. Happy New Year, cuz. <laughs> Same to you. We survived another holiday season. Yeah, let's hope 22 is better than 21, huh? That's what we said about 21 and and 20. Well, we can always hope, right? We're Minnesotans. There's always, you know, next year. There's always next year. <laughs> well, high points of the uh, holiday season for you. Did you, in fact, get 2.0 gifts? Or was it more 1.5 for your birthday also being on Christmas? <laughs> well, I should be careful because, you know, they might listen to this. Um, I'm going to say I got two gifts. No, I actually did get two gifts. I I got some really, really nice gifts, mostly adulting gifts at this point. So they're kind of boring to share. And I will save you guys the trouble. Um, hold on. I don't want to be saved the trouble. You're 28 years old now. And you are kind of in that phase where like your youth is slowly fading and you are really becoming an adult. And like, yeah. so w- what does it mean to, to be adulting at Christmas time and birthday time for you? It means it means getting a lot of like household items that I need either updated or need new. So well, tell like, us about them. You know, I used to get excited about getting some video game console or something, but now it's like, heck, give me a robot vacuum that I don't have to worry about vacuuming my own floor. Like, let it just let it just do its thing while I sit on the couch. That sounds awesome. Really pumped about that gift. I got a new blender, little, little ninja blender, so um, I can mix up my smoothies and whatnot, margaritas, ideally. Um, well, you should be clean and healthy, if nothing else, in 2022. Hey, amen to that. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, there's going to be a point where you're adulting even more. And what that looks like is you walk into Target on December 23rd. And you're as a male, of course, you're doing all your shopping on that day. And <laughs> for your wife and your kids and you know your extended family. And you walk around taking pictures of all the things that people might not buy you so that you and your wife can buy them in January. <laughs> so that's the next step. That's the next step, Isaac. Got a ways to go. All right. All right. Yeah, that's I'll, called I'll that, to, that, that's called like middle age holiday season. <laughs> so um, good, to, good to know there's a next step. Uh, there's right. a co- I feel like there's a couple more coming my way and, and, a, and a lot more coming yours too. <laughs> hey, but you got two more years left in your 20s. Spend them True. well because you're going to turn 30 and it's all downhill from there. Yeah, you know, I, I don't really like that you said that because I, I already feel too close to 30. So, um, you know what? On that note, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about some Minnesota sports, huh? Yes, and let's do one more update about Minnesota sports before we get into our two segments tonight, the Timberwolves um, and, and the Vikings. Um, where are you on preparations for February 2nd as the United States men's national team Host Honduras, Isaac, you won the auction. Woo-hoo. Yeah, I got selected somehow. We're going I, to Allianz Field. I think I think I I got the tickets because there's probably not as many crazy people out there as I'd hope there would be, right? Probably. I think you also have been a season ticket holder for how many years? I guess just like a year, year and a half. So not that long. Yeah, two years, isn't it? Well, you've been to a lot of games. Yeah. And I think I think that they've seen us in the Wonderwall and how how hard we cheer and how much <laughs> we're into the chanting. Um, that they 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 had no choice but to award you with four tickets to that match against Honduras on February second. My brother, by the way, um, good old Joe, mm-hmm. uh, came up to visit over the holiday break, and he happened to drop off a couple of pairs of hand warmers and toe warmers. <laughs> 
Those will be needed. Yeah, definitely. And I kind of have to adjust my uh, my uh, next month here because I was expecting to get this crazy warm jacket from you, and uh, I guess that didn't that didn't come to anything. I didn't didn't get that jacket. So yeah, that might have been a podcast shtick. Um, <laughs> Which I'm honestly okay with because I'm not sure the whole uh, Russian jacket look would uh would look too good on me. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping it's not going to be like it was um, kind of that Christmas week, New Year's week where it was like basically negative degree weather. Uh, I'm really hoping February brings us decent weather and we can actually have a good time out there in the cold. Yeah, so. and hey, you know, my coworker, Chris, who is also a season ticket holder to the Minnesota United and who also won the auction to this um, U.S. men's national teams game, lives within a mile of Allianz mm. Field in St. Paul and has agreed to host a pregame party. So I'm ready for some hot chocolate and whatever adult beverage I might add to it. Um, <laughs> we're going to pop in there, have a good time, and go over and hopefully watch a, watch a big W um, for the USA. Let's do it. I'm ready for it. All right. Well, we'll keep you updated in our next pod in mid to late January and um, that's coming. Uh, the, the, the big segments tonight though, Isaac and, um, our, our Vikings and our Timberwolves. And let's start with the purple and gold. So they, um, shit the bed on Sunday night in Lambeau. Um, Sean Mannion, who started as our backup quarterback because Kirk Cousins, as the NBC broadcasters would not say, did not get the vaccination for COVID and, ended up in COVID protocols and missed a playoff um, or a game that had um, impacts on the Vikings making the playoffs. And now we're out. We're seven and nine. The Packers um, just, you know, took it to us 37 to 10. It was over in the second quarter. The The Vikings actually kind of, the defense held up well, you know, through a quarter and a half, but our offense had 42 yards and it was just, you know, eventually we knew, um, you know, Jones and Adams and, and Rodgers were going to take it over, and they did. Sean Mannion, he might be 6'6". He's probably better suited <laughs> for a WWE um, ring than he is for, for Lambeau Field on a, an important night in January with a game with playoff implications. But um, so we're out. We're out of the playoffs because uh, we're 7-9. and nine. We have a, one meaningless game left against the Chicago Bears this weekend. So... What are your thoughts on on the Vikings and and where we go from here? Yeah, well, quick. I mean, I thought uh, I was a little worried there for about thirty seconds that Collinsworth might be cheating on Rogers the way he was talking about Sean Mannion. <laughs> My goodness, I was like, wow, are we, what are we making up about this guy now? But uh, well, you know, I talked to Sean on Friday and during the, uh, the <laughs> pregame prep, and he's just he's a guy he really understands the game of football, Isaac. A man, the man can throw a dart. He's got a cannon and the six six, six. piece. Oh, I just, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So that was that was a disaster. I mean, I wish I really wish we would have seen more of Kellen Mond on you know in that game at least like late. I, I guess I could understand the the whole idea of like not starting him if he's not game ready. But at the point where you're down like what thirty seven to ten, especially late in the game, what's it matter at that point? The kid comes in, throws and throws a few picks you know because he doesn't quite see the game right yet like give him some reps what's it going to make a difference at that point all right so with that loss in lambo on sunday night isaac um, no matter what the nbc announcers wanted to say about our our, our backup quarterback sean manny and we, we they took it to us the big thing the big thing that sticks out to me is that cousins was healthy 
but not on the field. In the yeah. most important game of the season. I mean, it kind of it kind of sums up our season to a T, really. Like, like we need we need Kirk in the most important game, and all all year we're kind of worried about you know Cousins being the unvaccinated guy on the team and COVID being an issue. Which actually, surprisingly, it's kind of amazing he made it this long without running into COVID. So I guess you you could you know go both ways that it's a miracle we made it this long. But probably the most important game of the year to you know keep our playoff hopes alive and. The guy under center is not there. And we don't really have anything good behind him. And yeah, it just, I mean, it, it, to me, it like just it continues to rub, rub the image of Kirk Cousins wrong. It's like, like, it, it, is this a team player? Is this the guy we want, you know, running our team? He's, you know, he's a decent quarterback and all that. But okay. So I think that, you know, I think the way that we can position this is um, the Vikings are seven and nine. They're either going to finish eight and nine or seven and ten. We're out of the playoffs for the second straight season, and you know there's going to this this franchise is going to have some tough decisions to make. So I think that three people that could potentially be on this hot seat are Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, and Kirk Cousins. Um, you've talked a little bit about Cousins and you know his lack of leadership. He's not really a leader on the field, as we talked about in our one of our last podcasts about you know, kind of deferring to the coaches about timeouts, not taking kind of that, not taking ownership and agency of what it means to be an NFL quarterback, leading 10 other men down the field and trying to punch the ball in the end zone. That's just not him. Right. Right. He's a, he's, he can throw a good ball, but the circumstances around him have to be damn near perfect in order for him to be a winning quarterback. And so, you know, I I thought about this today. I'm like, so he's got really great skilled position players and Thielen being out has been a big hit, but we've got good receivers. We've got two good running backs. We've got a good fullback. We've had some depth at tight end, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I was looking at his career record and, you know, whether it was with Washington for, you know, 2000, he came into the league in 2012, but he didn't really start as a quarterback until 2015. So he's essentially been a starting quarterback in the NFL for seven seasons. And here are his records year by year, nine and seven, eight, seven, and one, seven and nine, eight, seven, and one, 10 and five, seven and nine. And then now seven and eight. And he's just, he's just a middle of the road guy, right? Like, I, I know his touchdown to interception ratio is good. And he does throw a nice ball and he's accurate when he has time but he can't get out of the pocket. You have to have skill position um, guys around him that are excellent. Your offensive line needs to be better than the Minnesota Vikings offensive line is. And then, you know, next year, his cap hit is 40. Did I write this down? Right. My, my penmanship's a little, is it 45 million, 45 million in our, in our, in, in the cap for the team is 208, which makes his cap hit 21% of our entire roster. <laughs> So I think about what happened on Sunday night and leading up to that game and the entire season. And we'll talk about Zimmer in a minute. But if you want to talk to me about somebody that needs to go, it's Kirk Cousins. Because we're going nowhere. This guy is paid to be the man that leads a football team that can get you out of a jam, who does what's best for the team. And yet the only time that I feel good about Kirk Cousins is when everything else that can possibly go right is going right. And then he looks great. Yeah. 
But in the NFL, it, chaos is what defines the game, and it's how you respond to those moments of crisis that defines who you are as a football team. So yeah. I know everybody's calling for Zimmer's head. I'm calling for Cousins' head. I think he still has trade value because he's fool's gold. When Washington let go of him in 2015, their entire fan base, or 2018, I'm sorry, they'd had him as a starter for three years. His stats looked great. You know, 29 and 11, touchdown interception, 25 and 12, 27 and 13. But you go into the, you know, the, the, the archives and you read what on people on Reddit were saying and in the Washington papers, and they were ready to get rid of him. And yet yeah. it's been a carousel at quarterback in Washington since then. And now we have him, and it's very much the same. Like, mm -hmm. he's just, if he was paid half of what he is, and we could reallocate that money to address other needs on this team, I think I would be okay with him. But yeah. I think Kirk's got to go. I think, Kirk, you and your unvaccinated ass need to get out of Minnesota. On the next flight, I will drive you to MSP Airport. <laughs> I'll be right there, too. I'll, I'll ride, heck, I'll ride in the back seat. He can ride shotgun if we're taking him right out of here. Yeah, I mean, a, a guy like that, especially next year, he's like he's the third highest paid quarterback next year, based on on his numbers. That's higher than Russell Wilson, higher than Mahomes, higher than Dak, higher than Lamar, higher than Tom Brady. Like, I'm sorry, he's not better than any of those players. Maybe Lamar's a passer, maybe, but like you, you got to get something more out of your quarterback if you're paying him that amount of money. Because like you just said, it we're, we're lacking in other areas and or just you know salary strapped because of all this money we're forking out to a guy that can't even call his own timeouts <laughs> like like are, are like are you serious like take some leadership man like i'm so i'm so over it and it's he's such a conservative guy in terms of passing and you know maybe that's partially a zimmer thing where he doesn't want him to force balls because he wants him to, you know, rely on his defense. But I think that's going to be a conversation we talk about when we talk about Zimmer. I just, I'm, I'm ready. Like it, there's, there's, there just needs to be something new. Like we, we can't rely on, on Kirk Cousins and complete, like probably the best average quarterback in the league to take us anywhere because that's what we're relying on right now, and it's just not going to work. Like if we have one of the best defenses in the league then okay, you know, maybe maybe we're going somewhere. But, I mean, I think one of the, the, the biggest percentages to look at in terms of, you know, directly related to Kirk Cousins is we have, like, one of the bottom five percentages in third down conversion rates. And, like, good teams don't, like, go three and out. They just don't. Like, good teams, like, they, they you know, keep a drive going and – and they're able to push the, the ball down the field. And whereas, you know, there's a lot of games where we went three and out. It's said in our percentage. Like, and we don't go for it on fourth down ever. So it's like if we don't make it on third down, like we're immediately giving it back to the other team. And we, we just need we need some more leadership on offense. And I don't know what's that, what that's going to take, but I think a new quarterback is definitely one of them. Yeah, I, I'm one of – Generally, when it's like, let's get new for the sake of getting new because it's different. And even though the old isn't bad, it's not good. And so we've had it for a while and we're tired of it. Generally, I'm a little bit wary of like just adopting that philosophy as a means to correction. But with Kirk Cousins, it's not he's he's an average quarterback who can be good under the best circumstances. But as I mentioned before, you know, it's the amount of money that he's making. 
It's the fact that the guys in the locker room don't look up to him. It's the fact that he just doesn't have the it factor. You know, the Anthony Edwards of the world, the the Kevin Garnett's like he just he's a guy that's out there playing football and he's going to have a really nice checking account at the end of his career. And we're going to you know, when I think back to the Kirk Cousin days in Minnesota, I'm just going to be like, I'll remember who he is because he's had enough snaps behind center in the purple and gold. But there's nothing that I mean, he okay. granted, in 2019, we did get one playoff win against New Orleans. Yeah. I might remember that. Beyond that, like, it's just going to be a pretty – and, you know, the, the flip side of the coin is that you can say that he stabilized the quarterback position because it since Dante Culpepper back in – and we did this exercise on my couch on Sunday night. Like, how <laughs> many quarterbacks did we list off between Dante Culpepper in, what, 04, 05 to 2018? I mean, it was a legit carousel. and A lot, a lot, of, of, a lot of painful names. So, like – you take him away and, you know, but I think in today's NFL, there's a lot of different ways to win at quarterback. You got guys on fantasy, you know, and I know fantasy isn't necessarily a reflection of winning quarterbacking, but there's just guys that are like plug and play. Like you develop mm-hmm. a system and like, look at Tyler Huntley in, in Baltimore, right? Yeah. And you put the right system around him and he's basically a poor man's version of um, Lamar Jackson. And, he can be pretty successful, and how much money is he making a year? <laughs> I don't know. The, I don't know how much. I, I, I doubt it's more than five million. Yeah. So here's my question for you. So before we move on to Zimmer, say we're re, so um, he's under contract next year. I think he has value because there's a lot of franchises out there that look at his numbers and look at his career record of fifty eight, fifty nine, and two. And say to themselves, okay, a guy that has 220 career touchdowns, 91 interceptions, a career completion rate of 67%. He's a professional NFL quarterback. And there are franchises that haven't had any semblance of that for a generation. So my point is, I think the way that Washington handed him off to us, and they were like, okay, Kurt was fine, but we're okay. I think Minnesota would be the, I think, but I still think he has trade value because of that. You don't right. think teams would, would see through that and be like, oh, this has happened twice now. So, like, maybe there's a red flag there. I think teams would have a hard time with the $45 million. But if you're yeah. a franchise that hasn't had a guy that can throw the ball down the field with any resemblance of accuracy or competency for 5, 10 years, and we have had that with him, it just has to all be perfect for us to move beyond 7, 8, or 9 wins. You know, I think I think there's a way that you could get rid of him if you really wanted to trade him. Even at yeah. that cap number, I do. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see that. I don't know. I, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, people would see that just because even when we have had success, like that year in 2019 where, you know, it's one of his few years where he's not hovering around a 500 quarterback. Like, in all honesty, it, we weren't that good because of him. We were that good because our rushing, like our rushing game was, was one of the top in the league. So, I mean, even just looking at that alone and, you know, us having Dalvin cook, like it, it's amazing. Our offense isn't better than it is. Well, I think the offensive line is the Achilles. I mean, Kirk cousins, I, I wouldn't call him the Achilles heel. I would call him the, like dry elbow, um, <laughs> like 
<laughs> he's not going to hurt you, but it's, it's a, is, is he a little scaly? When he, yeah, but our offensive line, and, and, and I know people have said all year that we're not giving up sacks and this and that and yada, yada, yada. I'm telling you, where has this rushing game been? Like this dominant rushing game with one of the best running backs in the NFL. Like, well, according it, to Zimmer, we just we just don't run the ball enough. So, <laughs> which obviously he's not he's not paying attention to his offense because we have like the third most rushing attempts in the league. So, <laughs> how many rushing yards? What are what what is the rushing um, yards per attempt? Do you know the ranking? Uh, rankings were nineteenth. Yeah, so we have the we have the, this is interesting that parallels the Timberwolves stat I'm going to cite later on. But so we're first in rushing or third in rushing attempts and nineteenth yeah. in rushing attempts, uh, a rushing yards per attempt. And, and then you go back to to Cousins, and I'm like, okay, so what was the drop off? And if you just go to his rating per game, you know, from like weeks, basically uh, one through, and I mean the guy is healthy. Like his best attribute, I think, is his availability. That guy just. Yeah, he, he doesn't miss games unless it's for COVID. Um, <laughs> but weeks one through eleven, he had a passer rating of over a hundred and four all but three weeks, and in the last five weeks, he's only been over a hundred one time, and he's been under um, seventy two times. And it's like, what happened? And I think it's Adam Thielen, because mm. like if Cousins has. Two targets, especially if you can line them up on one side of the ball, no different than what we were watching on Sunday with um, Odell Beckham. Like you know, now that Cooper Cup has a second guy alongside of him, like he gives Stafford some options. And a defense, you can't double team two guys on the same side of the field generally successfully. And I think Thielen, if you got Cook in the backfield and you got Thielen and you got Jefferson, like that that first Green Bay game back on the twenty first of November, like we were like Kubiak opened up the playbook. But, you know, everybody was making plays. So it's like you got a double team Thielen or you got a double team Jefferson. But once you know who you singled, that's where, where the ball is going to. And so it's a little bit like um, the uh, the Gophers quarterback. Man, it's so crazy. Morgan. It's like the, the year's been over for a week and a half, and I can't remember his name. Yeah, like in, in 2019, when he had targets, he was good. When he had two NFL prospects, he was good. And since then, he's been garbage. And it's like... Cousins, every the offensive line has to be good to great. We have to have healthy targets on the outside and a great running back, and just it's not there. And it isn't all on him, but at that cap hit, like if he's the biggest problem, yeah. So, um, Zimmer, should he stay or should he go? I think it's time to go, man. I mean, make the case under five hundred in the last two years. He's only made the playoffs three out of eight years, which is terrible, but. Not great. And he's also missed his trend of making the playoffs every year. Like, what the heck, Zimmer? You let me down. <laughs> but, I mean, defensive coach, right? Like, that's kind of his, been his main MO. Um, and last year was really bad. Um, and you could kind of forgive him for that with, you know, COVID being, being new at that point. But looking at this year, and especially since they, you know, addressed this in the offseason, maybe not with the right guys, but they did address it. Um, and the defense isn't much better. Like, they've improved in points allowed from 29th in the league to 25th this year. But, I mean, their yards allowed, they went from 27th to 31st. Like, the defense is not good. And, you know, you think a guy that's 
been, you know, coaching defenses for as long as he's been in the NFL. Like that's the part that we need to be good for our team to, you know, be running on all cylinders and for it to feel good. Right. Um, and what's crazy is like these last two years have just been completely like different from Zimmer's first six, like within his first six years, Zimmer, like our defense was never below like top 10. So it's just, I don't know that that's going to be a huge piece for me. It's like if you're a defensive coach, like, and that's what you really push and you have an offense that plays very conservatively and wants to run the ball a lot. Like, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't play offense that way when your defense, you know, allows as many points as it does every week. Like I get it. Like if our offense was firing on all cylinders and we're like a top five offense, then yeah, maybe you can survive. But still, even at that, like as a defensive coach, your defense has got to be better. I just think that's that's darn near plain and simple. Um, and then just just a lot of his like poor game management stuff. Like he's, it just seems like he doesn't really know how to manage the clock a lot. And I think that's like hand in hand with Kirk Cousins. It's like their teamwork together on on game and clock management is just it's just terrible. Like I like taking timeouts at the wrong time or not taking timeouts to conserve the clock. And I just like, I don't understand it, especially this, this many years into his like coaching, you know, coaching gig. Like you'd think he'd figure it out by now. This many, this many years in the NFL period, like the guy's not a young buck. Um, so I just, I just don't agree with the game planning. I just, I think he's, I don't know. He's kind of been out of his, out of his element in the last two years. Um, and just like, just to cap it off, like all the issues with Kirk, like whether we're seeing it on the sideline, like that weird run in he had with Kirk earlier in the year where they were like yelling at each other and pushing each other. And I still have no idea what the heck that meant or what was going on there, but just like the back and forth between those two and the, you know, whole vaccination status. And then you look at, you know, the issues with, with uh, Zimmer and his offensive coordinators. Like, it seems like, like every year since, you know, I don't even know. I can't even say since. It seems like just about every year he's had some kind of issue with his offensive coordinator outside of Stefanski, who ended up leaving, you know, to get his head coaching gig. Maybe pick a better offensive coordinator. Like, you're in charge of that, Zimmer. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what do they say about guests at your house, Isaac? They're like fish, right? <laughs> After three days, they start to smell. So, like... <laughs> A three-day visit is probably ideal, and and then it's time to go because we want our house back. And you know, head coaches—they're visiting. They're visiting our franchise. They're visiting our city. They're 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 a part of us for the time that they're a part of us. And eight years is a long time for things to stink. <laughs> and you gave a lot of reasons about why there's a lot of stank. <laughs> so stinky. And I think the fan base—you know—no matter where you look, like you can't. You can't access a, a a Vikings media outpost at this point in the state of Minnesota that doesn't want him on the guillotine like yesterday. Yeah, but I think there's a counter argument to like everything that you said. Like, and, and and there's a lot of merit to the points that you made, Isaac. So while I undress you, please know that I'm doing it with respect. <laughs> okay, so he's been here eight years. So first of all, he's he's a survivor. Right, yeah. like eight years as an NFL coach is is nearly unheard of. He has the eleventh most wins by any active coach in the league, and 
he's 71, 56, and 1, which is a winning percentage. And I made this point in previous podcast of 56%. So every time that Zimmer's team takes a field, you know, more times than not, we're going to come away victorious. As I mentioned before, he's third in Vikings history. Um, you've heard, you, you listen to the Bill Summons pod on occasion, right? I do, indeed. And they've been going, you know, what have you heard about Kyle Shanahan the entire year? And like, there's been a whole like shtick they've been doing about his winning percentage of like 450 and comparing him to like, um, you know, guys in NFL history that have winning percentages that are similar. And, you know, Zimmer's a full 110, 120 percentage points ahead of that. And, and I still, I go back to the point about the years that, the, the the lean quarter and this is why like I'm always hesitant about change for the sake of change. Fifteen or thirteen years of lean quarterback play between Culpepper and Cousins. And that there were, you know, a couple of good years in there. Don't get me wrong. Like Ponders was not one of them. <laughs> and you know, but with Zimmer, same deal. Like, so I get why people are upset that we've missed the playoffs two years in a row. Like the quarterback that leads his team. Like, you know, Mike's had some pretty mediocre years the last couple of years, but we can't forget that in 2015, the team won 11 games. In 2017, they won 13 games. And in 2019, they won 10 games. And those were three of the five years before a pandemic world. And a pandemic world where his quarterback, who's going to be a $45 million cap hit in 2022, can't play in one of the most important games of the season. And as we've noted, has significant deficiencies so you want to talk about defense i'll tell you why our defense isn't good i don't think it's about scheme i think it's about the fact that even we, we picked up some guys in the offseason but who were they a quasi washed up patrick peterson who i would say outperform expectations like either that lived up well the contract that he had and the way he played i think were commensurate like he was good enough he was our leading corner which i would not say is good xavier woods Right. He's been he's been fine. And then our nose our, our um the defensive line, um, Tomlinson and Pierce have been in and out of the lineup the entire year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, once you get in there were a lot of games where we were getting significant pass rushes in the middle part of the year because we were building leads, because we have all of our targets on offense, which means we had um the offense moving the ball up and down the field. And when you've got the lead, you can tee off. And so once our offense started sputtering, the defense followed suit. So you don't have the cap money to spread to your defense. And then secondly, when is the last time that Rick Spielman drafted a defensive um, player who was a difference maker? Mm. There's been a few guys that you're like, okay, they, they, they belong in the field. Go ahead. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the exact draft years, but I'm thinking Kendricks, but that's a long time ago. So it wasn't Patrick Jones in 2021. Well, at least we don't know yet, right? No. Well, we do know about Gladney in 20, who was a... Right, he's gone. And Cameron Dantzler is probably a career nickel back. And DJ Wanham's probably... He's got a place on the roster. Yeah, he's he's, all right. he's, He's good depth on the defensive line. So that's 2021 and 20. You know, 19, you're starting to talk about um, Cameron Smith. Remember him? Armin Watts and Marcus Epps and oh yeah you're right so I'm I'm, I'm just gonna like scroll so the the fan base doesn't have to like painfully go through all these names you're right 2015 let's see 
God, it's hard to believe, Isaac, 2015 is seven years ago. That's seven years ago. That's so, crazy. So, so that's Kendricks and Daniil Hunter in rounds two and three. That's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. 2014, Anthony Barr. 2013, Xavier Rhodes. So there's nothing, there's nothing between 15 and now? 2012, Harrison Smith. I mean, there's guys, like we talked about a few of them, like 16, you've got Stephen Weatherly. Um, 17, you've got, yeah, you got that. (laughs) A whole lot of nothing. Uh, 18, and nobody on Mike Hughes. Womp womp. I think he could have been all right. I don't know why I gave up on him, but that's, that's another story. 19, yeah. So, like, there's really been, like, Spielman, the first half, um, are we making that pivot? Because I my my defense of Zimmer is not wholehearted in the sense that like I believe that he for sure is gone or that he should be gone. But I still think it's really hard to find good NFL coaches, and he's been a good NFL coach, and his teams have underperformed a little bit the last two years. Um, I wouldn't say a lot given what I think this roster in its entirety, um, the way that it's constructed and the way that it performs on the field. So. Who does he answer to? Who's Zimmer's boss? Well, either Spielman or the Wolves themselves. Yeah, that's. I thought about that today and I Googled it. It is Spielman, but we know how owners work. If they want a guy gone, they're going to put pressure on him. So I was thinking to myself, okay, so if Spielman is his boss, under what scenario might Zimmer be gone? And I think if the Wolves put pressure on Spielman and say, like, we need a fall guy, you know, or, you know, we need a change, whatever, however they code it. I think then Spielman, in order to save his own job, because he's about one draft away and another season, bad season away from himself losing his job. I think at that point, he probably pulls the trigger on Zimmer and brings in somebody new. But do you think, do you think he even has that much time though? Like if, say, the Wells want to move on from Zimmer, do they, I mean, I feel like if they're going to invest in another coach, like, won't they have to then stick with Spielman for possibly as long as that coach stays around? I like, don't... Go ahead. Ask your second question. No, I was done. Sorry. Go. Okay. No, you go. <laughs> no, you go. <laughs> no, you go. All right. I got this. Um, I don't think they're a package. I think the I think the way that I understand the Wilfs and what I've read about them, they're very... I mean, as we know, they're very business-oriented, and they believe in, like, hierarchy. And if you pull out your general manager and your coach at the same time, now on the one hand, you could say like, that's going to give you a complete new slate. It's a complete rebuild. But I don't think when they look at this roster and like we've got talent and we've got guys that are still relatively young on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, um, on defense, it just it really two or three guys could probably, whether through free agency or hitting in the draft could probably, you know, round this defense back into shape. It's not like they don't have talent, especially if some of the guys can stay healthy. Um, I don't think it's a, they both have to go or they both stay kind of deal. Um, so here's something, here's something to think about though. Here's something to think about though. So you, like our roster is constructed the way it is. The only, you know, possible idea that it could go towards more of a rebuild is the fact that we're projected next year. Now we don't know what the salary cap is next year, so it could go up. But we're projected next year to be eleven million over the salary cap. Meaning meaning we're 
basically contracts are either need to like going to need to be restructured, and we know what kind of zoo that was, you know, at the start of this year, or there's going to be players that are getting the heck out of here, like Kirk Cousins. Like Kirk Cousins, yes. Yeah, trade trade him for draft picks and young guys, and see what you maybe it ends up with nothing. But I still think uh, that that. 52-man roster and one guy is earning a quarter of the entire freaking salary output. That's a problem if that guy isn't good. Does that does that save Spielman's job, though, to unload Kirk Cousins? I think he's got to do something. So if the Wilfs go to him and say, we need change, he's going to have to. And if, if, if that means that like, you've got a one- or two-year window, Rick, because I think Rick probably, he answers directly to the owners. He probably has the most leverage with the owners and the Wilfs by for you know all intents and purposes everything that i can see is that they're not quick to move off of people yeah. like they want you to work through issues and they're loyal to you know guys that they've seen have success and both our general manager and our head coach have had success now in the short two-year covid window you can say that we've underperformed and you wouldn't be wrong but i still think that my guess would be is that they're going to let Rick make the call. And if Rick is going to make the call, then he's in a position where he's like, okay, I'm, I've been in this position for 10 years. And if I've got to turn this around in a year or two, am I better off having a guy that's been at my side that I've seen win, that I know that I can talk to and trust? Or am I better off starting off as somebody fresh who I have to get to know? We have to understand, like, you know, does that guy fit with like, the way I understand talent and, and try to put together a roster. And, you know, I just, if they leave it up to Spielman, I think they're both back. If they put pressure on him, I think one of the two are gone, possibly both, meaning Zimmer and Cousins. Yeah. I'd just like see- us to see, here's my final thought. I would like us to see, get rid of Cousins, trade him, see what you can get for him at that salary hit. It may not be what we think his value is, but whatever his value is in terms of its cap hit to the Minnesota Vikings and the way that he performs on this field and the way that he does not lead this team, I'd be willing to live with another, I don't want to say Josh Freeman, but Case Keenan. Helen you know. Mond? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have no idea what he is. So, Well, we well Zimmer doesn't even want to see him in the last game. That doesn't mean anything. So that must mean he's, he's, he's a, he's a third-string quarterback. Yeah. So... Okay, so what what what's your take? Like, so cousin Zimmer Spielman, what needs to happen before the NFL draft in April? Yeah, I mean, I guess if if Spielman's got to save his job, then I don't. <sighs> but but could the Wolves put pressure on him? I think they could, but I just think if he's going to save his job, I don't think both are are going. I think both need to go personally, just with the way Zimmer's been kind of really hostile towards. A lot of things this year, or maybe the media's painted him that way. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to see Kirk go. I don't think he does go. Okay, so who goes? I, I think that I think that forty-five mil is too big for anyone to take on for a quarterback that has good stats but can't win. Um, I think I think Zimmer goes. I think Zimmer's as good as gone. I really do. Okay. All right, so you, you heard it here. I, cousin, I think says Zimmer's gone. Um, cousin Dana says that Cousins is gone, and we both think Spielman's staying. <laughs> I mean, I I personally feel both of them are gone, but Spielman oh. and Zimmer. 
Oh, you, so, if you want my if you want my whole opinion, I think they're I think it's I think it's a clean slate next year. So I think we unload Cousins, and I think Spielman and Zimmer are back. So we'll see. We'll see. That's what this is all about, predicting, right? <laughs> and that's what we're going to do in the second half of the podcast today is predict what might be going on with the 17 and 20 Minnesota Timberwolves, who currently hold the number nine slot in the NBA's Western Conference. All right, we're back from break, and as promised, we're going to talk a little T-Wolves. Isaac, we're coming off of a um, back-to-back in L.A. We took care of the Clippers last night with some hot shooting and uh, fell to the Lakers the night before with a pretty sloppy performance overall, but the whole league's been a little sloppy the last month. What's been going on (laughs) in the NBA? COVID, holy cow, COVID's taken the league by storm. Man, I mean... When when we basically have our all of our starters out for a week or two in in December, that makes things pretty rough. But I mean, we're not the only team going through it. Um, so it'll be nice. I know the NBA just kind of updated their uh, COVID protocols, so moving the isolation period from ten to six days, maybe that'll help in the whole you know starters being out deal. So it'll be nice. It'll be nice to see the Wolves team, you know, sport a real NBA team versus the Iowa, Iowa Wolves. It'll be really nice to see. Um, it's kind of hard to watch, watch the team when they're playing without cat D'Lo and, and Ant all in the, all in the same, same time. So, uh, we're also like one of three teams to have 11 different starting lineups in the month of December, which is crazy. Um, only 14 games in December. So just about every game we had kind of a different a different look out there. So it, it'll be really nice to get some more consistency. I'm sure every team's saying that, but um, just to be able to to get our our starters back together because I mean when when they do play they've been they've been pretty good. I mean we 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 did pretty bad. We only won one game I think in the last six. Is that right? Um, I've got us uh, two and five in our last seven. Two and five in our last seven. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I mean that's I mean, that's mostly without our our top three. For us to even take a game out of that is you know decent, I'd say. <laughs> so yeah. to get them back, we're also heading towards kind of an easy part of our schedule. Our next four are very very winnable games. So if we can even just go four and all with you know Cat and D'Lo hopefully coming back for this next game, we'll be right above five hundred again and kind of sitting sitting pretty this year. Well, so we got. OKC two games in a row. Is it Houston and and who? Do you know? Uh, OKC Houston and the Pelicans. Yeah. So I in my mind there is no stretch of the schedule in any season, two thousand and twenty one, twenty two, or otherwise, where I think four and zero when I see four teams coming up. But, right. I mean, but, well, but, it, it's but a, it's a should games. be right, but it's yeah. the Wolves. Yeah. 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 Well, you no. know, and and go. Nope. Go. Nope, you you're up. Oh nope. Oh, gonna sneak by you real quick here. <laughs> um, don't edit that out. <laughs> uh, but you're right. Like, okay, so we have lost five of seven, but we won four of four before that, and yeah. those eleven games have kind of they've they've constructed that 
I'd say five week stretch now where there's been a lot of disruption with one, two, three, four, or five starters out at the beginning of that, either due to injury and then in the middle of it due to COVID. And, you know, now as guys are starting to come back one by one, first Beverly and McDaniels, and then now Ant, and we've supposedly will be getting D'Lo and, and Cap back. But if you look at that, like, um, you know, overall, you're looking at uh, a team that's basically played 500 ball through adversity. Um, and that's been something that stuck out to me. Like, I turned the TV on and I went to the game actually against the New York Knicks last week. First one I've seen since the beginning of the pandemic in person. Um, thanks, Don Lavin and John Alexander, friends of mine, um, who invited me out. I was late for the game, but... And I also missed the pregame, but we'll, we'll forgive me for that. Um, but, you know, in that game, we only had Beverly back the night before against the Celtics. As you mentioned, Isaac, all four of our, all five of our starters were out and we won. Yeah. And, you know, you go, you go through this lineup and like all five of our starters cannot play. And you still got, um, you know, Malik Beasley and... Torian Prince and Josh Okoge and Jalen Noel and Jordan McLaughlin and Jake Lehman. And now we've got Nathan Knight, you know, mm-hmm. who's coach's favorite, you know, two way wonder. Yeah, the two way wonder. That's right. And, you know, uh, Greg Monroe, who hadn't played in mm-hmm. two and a half years in the NBA um, after a stint in, in Europe and then in the G League. He last played for the Philadelphia 76ers team that lost to the Raptors in that. Bounce, 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 bounce. Kawhi Leonard <laughs> shot that sent them to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2018-19. Um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of pushing through. And I think a big part of that is, like, we talked about this at the, at the front of the year, is the depth to our roster. Like, guys come in, like, whether it's it's um, Tor- um, Torian Prince or it's Nas Reed or um, it's Malik Beasley, it, they're professionals. Like you're not just, it's not like Sean Mannion and Lambeau, right? (laughs) And then I think the other thing to think about is Chris Finch, a guy that spent all those years as a head coach and assistant in Europe and then in the G League. He's really used to like this roster turnover. So like plug and play is sort of his gig. So yeah, and it's been pretty impressive. But I, um, the question that I want to ask you is, you know, I know there's been a lot of disruption due to COVID and like the Timberwolves haven't weathered it poorly. And a lot of teams are going through the same thing, but there is something very unique to us. And like, it's this, like, so we're 17 and 20 and to begin the year, we won three of four. Um, and then we lost 10 of 12 and then we won seven of eight. And then we lost five in a row and then we won four in a row. And then in the heart of COVID, we lost five of seven for what that's worth. But so what do you think accounts for like the up and down nature of this wolf season? I think it's still finding consistency. I mean, find like actually like having players who unknow and understand winning. I mean, we've never, we've never understood winning the, the fact that we even can like end a losing streak at five games, which sounds ridiculous but the fact that we can end it at that is like improvement like normally we'll go on a five game losing streak and it'll continue like like even just having what what are we like 10 wins shy of last year nine wins shy of last year 
Yeah, that was the interesting thing that um, Beverly brought up last night in the press conference after the win against the LA Clippers, right? His yeah. goal was that we would win more games than we did last year by the All-Star break. And we're only nine short. And the All-Star break is usually in mid-February, right? Yeah. So we got we have a puncher's ch- chance of, 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 of making that target. Yeah. And I mean, I just like, I just love the way this team competes. So I don't know if that's straight up Finch. I don't know if that's what kind of, you know, mentality Patrick Beverly brought in, um, you know, Ant growing up more, you know, being more of a leader. Um, but every night I feel like we have a puncher's chance of at least competing in the game. Whereas, you know, in previous years it's been, I mean, in any game you, you, you watch, it could be like, we're done by the first quarter. <laughs> and and we've, we've like, competed in games without even our best players. So that tells me there's got to be some kind of mentality switch where I think it's, you know, it can be attributed to Beverly and, and Finch. I mean, there's definitely a different mindset there. Um, I'm, I'm still waiting for our offense to still take over. I mean, last time we talked, it was it was the fact that our defense was impressive, but our offense still wasn't there. And I know we've had all the COVID stuff, so that doesn't help the whole offensive side of things. But, like, our offense still isn't really caught up. Our defense is slowly, I would say, like, settling in. We're not, like, kind of top 10 where we once were. But we're still, like, right up there 14, 15. Um, 13, actually, in defensive rating. But our offense is still sticking around 23rd. And I think, like, there's still improvement to be made there. I just, I just don't see this team continuing continuing to struggle on offense this much, especially with the guys we have like Cat, D'Lo, and like you, you look at those three players and you tell me that our defense is going to be better than our offense. I'd laugh at you every single time. So what you're saying is that the inconsistency that we've seen through at this point, um, I guess it would be about forty percent, forty five percent of the season is largely due to our offensive production. Yeah. Okay. I would agree. And I think that this is a really interesting stat. We are first in three-point attempts in the entire NBA, and we're 22nd in three-point percentage. So I just, I don't understand, like, and I know, like, some guys are having down years, and that we have talked about this before, but the 22nd in percentage isn't as alarming to me as first in attempts. So yeah. why do you, why do you think we're relying so much on the three point ball, which would in my mind can account for in addition to some of the the youth and like the guys getting to know each other because as we talked about before like you know Beasley and Ant and Towns and D'Lo haven't really played much together historically they just haven't with COVID they haven't had games and then you add in some of the new pieces and the, and the youth on the roster and I, I can see why there would be that you know, ebb and flow to the year, but why so much reliance on the three ball? Is this, is this Chris Finch hearkening back to his Houston Rockets days? <laughs> I mean, it might be, I mean, to me it's pace, 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 and it's try to instill like confidence in your players. Like I think at some point you got to rein that in, but it's like, if, if they want to take, you know, if they want to take all these three point shots, like, I think he's giving his players a little more of a run because it's like they are playing hard on defense. They're make, they're getting stops. They're uh, you know keeping themselves in games that way. Um, right. Yeah. 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 So I think your point is that Finch 
is giving guys maybe a little bit more freedom to kind of figure out the pecking order, to figure out the the shot, you know, who gets what shots and like their chemistry. And I think if that's the case, if this, if, if that if that experiment was about chemistry, I'd give him an A plus. Cause this team, like in terms of body language and like guys rooting for each other and like you can see through all the adversity they faced with injuries and and and, and COVID protocol um, DNPs in the last month, and they're still showing up every night. Yeah, and they haven't won every game, but they're showing up every night. And I'd say, like in terms of building a culture for a guy who is truly in his first year, I know we finished off the second half of last year. Like that's probably more important than every than anything, but. I guess it isn't all about this year, but we're kind of hungry this year for a playoff berth. So if we turn it around on the offensive side of the ball in the, what essentially is the second half of the season, Isaac, what does that look like? You say that this offense just magically because of the guys we have has to fall into place and, (laughs) and, and, and kind of guys figuring out their place in a system. So what do you think needs to be improved in terms of offensive production? Just, I mean, I think first off, it's going to be, we need the guys in the court. I mean, COVID's kind of throwing all kinds of wrenches into the offensive schemes. So we kind of can't find any consistency within that. But I mean, then I think it's a matter of like, we got to find players with the hot hand and find them in the spots where they like to score. Like cat, cat, cat by his numbers needs to be taking a lot more shots. He needs to be the guy. You know, maybe not the guy closing out the game, but he needs to be the guy for the first three quarters. So we need Cat to have, you know, kind of the season of his life for the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. Then we, we got to figure out who the closer is, whether that's that's D'Lo and kind of his hot start that he had closing out games, or is Ant going to be that guy that steps up? I, I think I think we really do have the right role players. We have the right depth. It's just a matter of our top guys, you know, truly taking that next step and closing out games. I, I think Delo's still got a lot of improvement to to go. I mean, he's still like shooting very poorly for the year, and I think if he can improve that, um, you got other guys that have kind of improved since they've had a bigger opportunity here. Like McDaniel's is slowly starting to shoot a little bit better. Um, we need Beasley to step it up on three pointers. Like he needs to be locked, like clutch on the catch and shoot threes. And then Jalen Noel, I think, is going to be a, another name that is going to really provide that spark off the bench. And he's kind of proved that he needs to be on the court. So I think just with these guys picking it up. Yeah, I think, I, I think we're going to be fine. Like you're right. Like it's like offensively again, and it's a big if in terms of the guys being on the court together. Yeah. But with, you know, Edwards and Towns and Russell, um, you know, and before, the whole COVID thing hit like Towns really was early in the year. He was getting like 12 to 15 touches per game. And he was closer to, you know, 19, 20, 22 in the games leading up to um, his absence in, in, in mid to uh, in late December. And I think that Edwards is deferring to Russell in terms of leadership on this team in the sense of like, he knows that he's the veteran guy and Russell by, you know, from the defensive metrics to, his offensive production and playmaking to his leadership, to his clutch shooting. Like he's kind of earned himself that role, at least this season, like maybe, maybe ants a year off, but Ant still might be the guy some nights. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, I still feel like Ant Early is like he's Ant. He's young. Like some nights he's going to give you thirty-eight. Other nights he's going to give you like ten. He's still streaky as as a young player. So it's like to to trust that going forward, which I think would be great for his development. Like when you got when you have a guy like D'Lo who's kind of been there, done that. Not to say it's always been that productive either. Like maybe he's just a guy that 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 you lean more on right now. And yeah, maybe Ant's time is coming, but we don't need to like force it there. We don't need to push it there. Yeah, I think that early in the year we thought that there was tension, and I think that we saw some of it. Although I don't think it carried over in terms of their overall relationships. Be, which yeah. often happens in the NBA, like guys kind of like, you know, who's the guy and, you know, Edwards, I think his, he has a really high EQ and he knows that when he's feeling it, he's going to get the ball and he's going to take the shot. Um, I just still wish like, I think in, and again, it's year two and it's not a huge criticism, but you know, eight point six three point attempts per game. And he is shooting it at 35.8, which is fine. Like yeah. volume shooting at least give me 35, especially if you are a playmaker and you can use your three-pointer to create other opportunities in terms of scoring. Um, I'm okay with that. But the free-throw attempts are 3.6 per game. I oh. think Edwards could be like a seven or eight free-throw attempts. And if he wants to get to the point where he's an all-star and he's really seen as the guy, and part of it, like maybe he's not getting all the calls yet. I saw some aggressiveness, especially in that first half last night against the Clippers, and yeah, there were some turnovers. If you're going to ask him mm-hmm. to go to the cup and go to the cup hard, you're you're going to have to live with that. But I would like, I think, winning basketball with Anthony Edwards is maybe he can take his threes, but maybe not nine a game, maybe five yeah. or six, and 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 figuring out a way to get to the cup more. Um, he falls in love with that a little too much. Like he likes that step back. He likes to you know think he's he can shake and bake yeah in the three point line. Yeah, I mean it's kind of the. The, the generation we're in now with, with basketball players, right? But I just think with that frame, like, just just tell the guy to go to the hoop more. Like, he's going to get foul calls at some point. Or maybe maybe that's, like, the thing you hone in on with, with Edwards is teach the guy how to draw fouls. Because once he's able to do that, you know, and then I'm sure his three-point shot's going to improve. But already at 35%, like, that's not that's nothing bad. If he can draw some more fouls, like, he's going to, He's going to be the guy that we want closing out games. And it's not going to be a question of, is it D'Lo? You know, is it D'Lo? Is it Ant? It's going to be, yes, it's Ant because, like, he's the three-level scorer, which he's close to, but it's like, yeah, yeah, get to the line more, man. I'm pretty happy about, like, where he is in terms of year two. And I think with his work ethic, and, like, he's 35.8% from the three on volume three-point shooting in his second year. For a guy that doesn't necessarily have what you would consider a traditionally great shot, but like he's got the work ethic that, you know, I, I think he's going to get there. Um, so I, I, I'm not, again, we have, we have an offensive minded coach. We have enough offensive options on offense. So if guys are healthy and they have an extended run of time together, I think I do agree with you that that's going to come together um, the defense has been the thing that has continued to carry this team. So yeah. what, how would you characterize, since our last podcast, what you've seen with the Timberwolves on defense and what that means for the season going forward? Yeah, I mean, the effort like never ceases. That's the thing. Like I, I feel like they don't... 
in some games, I guess they do give up some easy baskets, and those are the ones that normally get away from them. But most games I watch, it's like there's never an easy hoop. They're always um, contesting at the three-point line, which is probably one of the best things like I've seen them do in, in years. Their, their three-point contests have been amazing. Mm. Um, and they, they just they hustle all around all around the uh, the court. Like it, it's amazing. Like the the work ethic side of it is great. Like whether they're technically sound on defense, I'm not always sure. But you know why not use that youth, right? Like use that youth and switch and have them just run around with their with their heads cut off kind of deal. And it's it's worked. Like yes, it has fallen off a bit from the start of the year, but it's still yeah, it's still keeping them in games. Like a lot of times we're, we're not losing by a lot, and it's really just like our offense at that point that needs to step up. But it's like we can kind of like hold down just about anyone on on defense, or at least like hang with them um, and create turnovers. I think that's been a big thing too, where it's like we've we've created a lot of turnovers from the opposing team um, that leads to some nice easy buckets for us. So it's just a matter of like keeping that up. I also wonder like if if you know the offense starts ticking up, does that does that bleed into our defense at all is kind of my, my worry. It's like if if they're focusing so much on defense, maybe that's why our offense is bad. Like what if we start focusing in on offense? Does the defense take a little bit of a backseat? And hopefully it doesn't take too much of a backseat that, you know, we're back on, you know, previous year's Wolves. So I'll be kind of curious to see like what that looks like. I'm just hoping that we can start being more efficient as players are hopefully on the court, not you know, missing games from COVID or any injuries that that's just kind of a gel thing. Our defense stays pretty consistent that, that we just have that system locked into place and we just start hitting shots now. Yeah. I think there was a, um, your point about the, the, the hustle and the energy and the, like the, the youth on, on the roster and how that has affected, um, opponents all year long. And I thought about it. I was, I didn't get to watch the game against the Clippers last night. Um, was having to uh, watch an episode of Yellowstone, but <laughs> the, there was a possession. I was watching the YouTube highlights today. And, and for a father of two young boys, 10 minute YouTube highlights are often the way to go um, <laughs> for listeners out there. But there was a possession where Jared Vanderbilt was guarding the corner three. And then that guy dumped it into the post against the Clippers. And he like dropped down to the postman and doubled it. And then that guy, because he was doubled, kicked it out to the elbow, to the corner for an elbow three. And Vanderbilt recovered and contested the shot, like basically hand on hand almost. I think he made it, but it was just one of those, like it would kind of like it was it reminded me of like, you know what those like like those tire sales places where like they have that marketing, the Gumby thing that just <laughs> flails its arms and legs. It was just like, it was like Jared Vanderbilt's arms and legs everywhere in that triangle of the defense, like corner yeah. three post elbow. And like he made those transitions seamlessly. And yeah, we gave up the three, but if you do that on every possession and every guy is doing, or most guys are doing an iteration of that, like think about this compared to last year. Like, when we were faced adversity, we went on 10 game losing streaks yeah. or nine of 10. We never saw this kind of defensive effort. So mm -hmm. I think that I, I'm still bullish on the Timberwolves in terms of being in the top 10 in the Western Conference. Um, as we sit now, Isaac, we are um, number nine. And as you know, with the play in tournament, there are now 10 teams that qualify. 
for the playoffs plus play-in tournament, and then eight teams after the play-in tournament is over. So um, you think we're going to make it? You think we're going to sustain ourselves in the top 10 in the Western Conference? I, I'm nervous to say this, but you know I'm going to remain optimistic based on what I've seen. I think we're a lock to be top 10 in the Western. Now, I, I think I think we have a really, really good shot of even getting up to six and just avoiding that plan altogether. But I think that's going to have to do a lot with the health of our team. Because, I mean, we're we're like hovering around 500, you know, with with people in and out of the lineup. And I just, you know, I think the sixth spot, you know, is going to be around that, around 500, maybe a, a few games above. So if, if we can keep it up and even if our offense finally you know, finds that fire they need, hopefully to end the season. I think we could see ourselves in the sixth spot, but I think for certain we'll be at least in the 10 spot. Yeah. I mean, we continue to have the Warriors and the Suns and the Jazz and the Grizzlies. Yeah, they've kind of separated themselves. Yeah. The top four. Then you got the Nuggets at five, 18 and 17 and the Wolves at nine at 17 and 20. So you're looking at a, a two game gap between the five and nine seed. And I think you're right. Like we've done this despite what's going on in the last month. And, um, you know, barring major injuries to star players, I, I would agree with you about that being a lock. Here's a closing thought for you. What if we want to be more than that? So thinking about the depth, you know, you've got Jared Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels who have very similar skill sets in terms of their, especially their defensive impact on the floor. You got Jalen Noel, who kind of reminds me of Malik Beasley and kind of reminds me of Anthony Edwards. He, he has moments and I, I'm, I'm, I am so glad like in some ways, like COVID has given us the opportunity because so many guys are not playing that you're seeing guys from the G league, but more importantly, you're seeing guys that are normally just in the rotation in starter roles. Yeah. And Beasley's been pretty much who Beasley is, a streaky three-point shooter who can really get it cooking some nights and can win games for you. But mm-hmm. Jalen Noel, and we saw this last year and we talked about him, he was lost in Finch's rotation for much of um, the beginning part of this year, but he's found his spot. Mm-hmm. And so now if he is your you know, your pressure cooker scorer off the bench, and not necessarily – with the three point stroke that Beasley has, but with his overall playmaking, you know, is there, is there like, we, I still feel like in, in, in certain playoff matches, matchups and throughout the second half of the season, you know, we continue to be undersized. Is there a trade to be made where we're using some of our perimeter depth to get a big man? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ideal case, right? I mean, look at look at the guys in Indiana that are supposedly available. Be nice to go get one of those guys if we have the right things to throw at them. But maybe Greg Monroe's the answer, Dana. Maybe we don't need a trade. <laughs> I'm happy for Greg Monroe, and and I, I you know, I, I am. But but okay. So who from the, if if Indiana does indeed decide to blow it up with Sabonis and and Miles Turner, who would you want, and then who do you think we could give up with? And fill a hole without creating a bigger hole by giving up the guys that we would get for him. Sure, yeah. Whoever it is. Yeah, I mean, it, what's crazy is Sabonis and Turner almost have the same contract, and they're not—they're not painful contracts either. What are they? 
I, I think they're like right around 18 million a year, which is a kind of a crazy number when you think of Sabonis. It seems more reasonable for uh, Turner, but I think Sabonis is Turner, the is Turner's the ideal leading, one. Turner's leading the league in blocks, though, right? Right, but he's kind of. I don't want to say he's like super limited on offense, but he's in terms of Sabonis Turner, like he's way more limited on offense than Sabonis is. Like Sabonis can kind of be a point forward in a way, which can help you out. But I also don't think like we don't necessarily need that. I personally would love to have uh, Miles Turner because I still think we need that five in the post who can guard big guys who can take on, you know, the people that I think kind of out muscle cat um, and just kind of have that paint protector. So I would love to have Turner. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what it would take, but I mean, if you look at something like a, I don't know, like a Beasley McDaniels or maybe not even McDaniels, Beasley, Nas Reed, first round type of package. Now that first round better be protected because we've seen, we've seen what's happened in our first round in the past and that hasn't been too beneficial to us. But I think it would be great to go out and get that guy. I mean, it'd help in size. It'd help on defense, which our defense is already looking good. So lock that down more. And you're also like, you'd be losing a guy like Beasley, but then you'd have other guys who are cheaper, but this, but the same. And like Noel, like you were saying, who could step up in that, that role. So, bring him on. Let's get Miles Turner. <laughs> okay, so second half of the year, we're seventeen and twenty. Um, give me your prediction, Isaac. For where do the Wolves finish in the West? What position? And how many wins? <sighs> how many wins? I'm gonna say an even five hundred. Okay, so we're forty-one and forty-one, and I think that puts us at right around the eight. So I think we're in the, the playing tournament. Okay, I'm going to put us at 38 and 42, and I think that's going to put us in ninth. You know what that means, though, for, for both of those? We're hitting the over. <laughs> Which means you win our bet, but I do win my bet with some other friends of mine who may or may not be named John Alexander. Hey, we both win. That's good. Sorry, Jen. <laughs> well, he goes by Alex. Right. Sorry, Alex. I didn't tell you that though, so you don't have to be sorry. Hey, well, let's hope for that. That would be great. That's that's what I want to see in twenty two. Here is the Wolves making some noise in in the playoffs, even if it's just the playing tournament. Hey, you know what? Like we did a football basketball podcast, and I think the basketball is the upside. Yeah, and Minnesota, like like let's that's a that's, good thing. That's very surprising, but yes. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great to talk to you, um, Cousin Isaac, here on the 4th of January, 2022. Why don't you take us out? Yeah, thanks for listening. Happy New Year to you all. And uh, stay safe out there.